Good morning once again. Um, Open up your Bibles or look in your bulletin. We're going to look at Isaiah 49, verses 1 through 13. And today we continue in a short little sermon series. It's our second sermon in the series where we're looking at the servant songs of Isaiah. Towards the end of Isaiah's prophecy, Isaiah is an Old Testament prophet, a prophesied around 740 B.C. to around 700 B.C., an Old Testament prophet. And towards the the end, we see there's these what we call servant songs. and as we look back upon these servant songs that, that identify uh, an individual who works as God's agent to bring salvation and redemption to God's people in the world, we, looking back towards Christ, we see that, well, the this, this servant is Christ himself. We have that advantage here this morning. Now, last week in the servant song, it was part of a section um, for Isaiah 41 through 48, where, where God was dealing with the problem of his people being in exile in Babylon. How are they going to be physically rescued? And, and he was going to raise up uh, a king, King Cyrus, the Persian, to, to bring God's people out of captivity. And so when, they come, when the original readers of this, of this prophecy would come to today's passage, they would have in their minds uh, another problem. They would say, well, God has taken us out of the land and brought us back into the land. Um, he has physically redeemed us. But, but how is he going to restore us spiritually back to him? And it, it's not just a question for the ancient Israelites. It's a, it's a question for us today, too. How are we to be restored back to God? We who have wandered from him. We see this in the wonderful servant song of Isaiah. God sends his servant, his son, Isaiah 49, beginning in verse 1. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me like a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet, surely, my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, Is it too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel? I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nations, the servant of rulers. Kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. Thus says the Lord, in a time of favor I have answered you, in a day of salvation I have helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people to establish the land, to apportion the desolate heritages, saying to the prisoners, come out, to those who are in darkness, appear. They shall feed along the ways. On all the bare heights shall be their pasture. They shall not hunger or thirst. Neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them. For he who has pity on them will lead them. 
and by the springs of water will guide them. And I will make all my mountains a road, and my highway shall be raised up. Behold, these shall come from afar, and behold, these from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Syene. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If you want to know God, if you want to know his will, if you want to know his way, we must know his word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have given us this ancient word, this ancient word which has great importance for us here today. We thank you that you've sent your son, the servant. We thank you that in Jesus Christ we see this being fulfilled. Help us to have ears to hear. May we pay attention to your words to us this morning. May we find life in Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, a good friend of mine recently shared a story that I think helps us kind of begin uh, looking at this passage here this morning. Um, his name is Chris, and, and when he was about 13 years old, he and some friends decided to go camping up on a mountainside overlooking a lake. And so around uh, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, they gathered all of their important supplies, sleeping bag, check, beef jerky, check, cans of Dr. Pepper, check And they headed out through the woods for two miles, and they arrived at their destination. They they unpacked and they settled in their little makeshift camp, and and they um, came to realize and they thought, it doesn't get any better than this, which is foreshadowing for, it's going to get really bad. (laughs) They had a hard time falling asleep that night. A little too much caffeine, Chris thinks. And uh, they're laying in their sleeping bags. They didn't have any water because they brought Dr. Pepper and they drank it all. They had a hard time falling asleep. And then the clouds came in and with it came rain and more rain and more rain. He said, we were stuck on the side of the mountain. There was no escape from the darkness, from the thirst, the cold or the wet. Our miserable attempt at a fire provided no light but only managed to sting our eyes with the smoke. We were stuck. What they came to realize was any sort of salvation was out of their hands. There was nothing they could do to remedy their situation. But, but then the dawn. With the dawn came the light. Chris said it went from being pitch black to all of a sudden just a a little bit of gray. And from that faint light, they were able to see the path that led them down the mountain. Though they were still cold and hungry, they were now safe. With the coming of the light, they found way to safety. Now, I think that story of Chris's misery on the mountainside illustrates a few points. Uh, Of course, uh, be prepared. Take a lot of food and water. That's not the point, though. Um, It's a good illustration about what the Bible says about mankind. That is, we are in darkness. And and it's not because we've forgotten to bring a a flashlight. It's, It's because we have turned our backs on God himself, who is the true source of light. And just as plants without sunlight wither and cease to flourish, just just as people uh, will stumble through a room when there's a a, a power outage and, and hurt themselves or hurt others, so too we experience these problems of of darkness in our lives. 
when we are separated from the light of God. You know, one of the sad things about it, though, is, is that we can become accustomed to the darkness, so accustomed to it that when the light breaks in, we actually run from the light and stay in darkness. Now, perhaps you doubt that there's a spiritual darkness that has any effect upon you. There's uh, a band called Broken Bells. They have a, a hit song, or at least it was a few months ago, titled Holding On for Life. And there's this line in it where, where they sing, Nowhere else to go. And you never know what to hide and what to show. If, if we all live in the dark, if you disagree with this, just think about the times in your life where you've had to decide what to hide and what to show. We do it every day. What to hide and what to show. We, we hide things from our friends and from our teachers, from our spouses even. We, we, we have certain people we'll share things with and then we wouldn't share the same thing with other people, right? We live, we are all affected by this spiritual darkness. There's a couple of different responses that people have towards this darkness in our, in our world. Some people will, will have a hard time even admitting that, that there's a problem with spiritual darkness, even though there's a bruising effect that they experience in their lives from walking around in the darkness. The darkness also offers concealment, where people are able to get away with things that they normally wouldn't get away with. It's part of our human nature. Jesus spoke of this. In John chapter 3, he said, The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. That's, that's on the one hand. On the other hand, there's a, there are people who hate the darkness and yet still refuse to come into the light. Consider the Pharisees in Jesus' day. The Pharisees, they followed all the rules. No one could look down on them, right? They thought for sure they were right in God's eyes, but they didn't see their own pridefulness in their own heart. But they had no need for a Savior. See, it requires humility to accept the grace of God that we find in Jesus Christ. It's kind of like those boys on the mountainside. Imagine if they're up on the mountainside and, and the light comes out, and yet they, they refuse to, to be rescued in the daylight, and they decide to stay on the mountain until it gets dark again so that they can find their own way down the mountain. That's how a lot of people live. I don't want your light. I'll be just fine without it. Surely God will be pleased with me. I can find my way to him. Now, through the lens of our passage, we see how both of these perspectives are flawed. In our passage, we read of a promised servant whose life and work is to restore Israel and us to himself. God's grace is the solution to this ancient nation. It's the solution to us as well. And what we need God to do is we need God to act. We need him to send his light. And he has done that in his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the light that brings salvation to the ends of the earth. That's the point we're looking at this morning. We're going to look at four aspects of Jesus being in the light of this world. First, we're going to look at his, at his um, pedigree, then his purpose, and then his pathway, and then his prosperity. First, Jesus' pedigree. Because of Jesus' pedigree, we must listen to him. This servant song tells us that Jesus' pedigree was a servant. He was born to be a servant. Now, when you hear the word pedigree, you probably think of dogs, right? Like dog breeds, you know, and pedigree. So um, 
And it's interesting that a number of dogs, uh, their pedigree, uh, they, even, they have names that help us understand what they were bred for. Like consider, uh, consider the pointer. If you've ever gone hunting and you've seen a, a pointer, well-trained pointer in action, it's a beautiful sight to behold. They come up upon a bird in the, in the, in the, in the brush and, they, and they, they stop and they point their nose at it and their tail straight back and they don't even move. That's a pointer. It's an appropriate name for a dog like that. Then there's another dog. It's a French name, Bichon Frise. I, I probably butchered it. That, is that right? We have French people. All right, it's good enough, right? All right, there we go. Uh, it's a French word. You know what it literally means? Curly lap dog. <laughs> Curly lap dog, right? So if you happen to own one of these dogs and someone comes to your house and they see it on your lap and they go, wow, what a, what a pretty dog you have there. What kind, of, what kind of breed is it? What's its pedigree? And you just say, it's a curly lap dog. And they go, I know, I see that, but really, what is it? Okay, it's a Bichon Frise, right? Now, in the Bible, there's lots of names for Jesus. Here we see that he is the, the high servant of God. In, in, verses, in the first six verses, this servant gives his testimony. He begins by saying, listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention to me, you people from, a, from afar. He, he's speaking to, to all the earth and all generations. He's speaking to us today. He's saying, listen, pay attention. In verse 5, he says that the Lord, remember from last week, L-O-R-D in the Old Testament, all caps, is really God's name, Yahweh. God has a name. And, and, and what we see in, in verse, verse 5, Yahweh, the Lord, formed him from the womb to be his servant. The, God's light to the world is, is a servant. Now, we need to flush from, from our minds any sense of like, um, like, like, like servitude that is like menial service, right? Um, consider another, you know, a minister is, is actually a servant. They mean the same thing, right? So um, think prime minister. Think of, think of the, one of the highest offices in a country where serves the king or queen or the president. The prime minister, it's a high honor to serve. It's actually, you know, you're serving someone else, but you're in a position of great power and influence and authority and importance. This is who Jesus is. He's God's prime minister, so to speak, to bring the light of salvation to this world. Um, and it's an honorable task. Verse 5, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord. The, the, God's gift to this world is, is a servant. Uh, and the servant has a pedigree. From the womb, he was given a name. We see in verse 1, it says, the Lord called me, uh, excuse me, I think it's verse 2. Uh, the Lord called me um, from the womb, from the body of my mother, he named me. It, it should cause us to think, Back earlier in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 9, it's a passage I'm sure you're familiar with. We, we read it at Advent, Christmas time. It, it begins in verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shined. All right, and, then, and then a few verses later, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Right? Isaiah has already been talking about this child who was born, a son that's given, who's going to take charge of all things. On his shoulders, the world will rest. Do you remember the name that the angel gave to Joseph for the child born, uh, to be born of Mary? Uh, Matthew one twenty one. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, um, Jesus is an English name for Joshua. 
right? And, and, but the actual Hebrew word is um, Yehoshua, and it literally means what? Yahweh saves, or the Lord saves. That's his name. Jesus was given the name. He's a, he's a servant who has the name, the Lord saves, right? Um, for he will save his people from their sins. So a question for us this morning before we move to our next point is, is do you listen to Christ? I mean, do you, do you really listen to him? You know, I know a lot of people say, well, I kind of like some of his teachings. You know, I like that one turning the other cheek, right? Unless, of course, I'm the one hitting somebody, right? Um, and, and I like blessed are the peacemakers. You know, a lot of people will try to do is they'll, they take certain teachings of Jesus. They say, I'm going to appropriate these. And a couple of people, you know, Jesus is just a wise teacher like many wise teachers. And I'm going to appropriate what I wish from him. Listen to some things and not others. But um, if that's the case, you're really not listening to Jesus very well. If Jesus were to be in this room, he would say, you know, you don't got the full picture. You know, you're not hearing me, right? Jesus, what we see here, the servant is from his womb was called to be the savior. He's called to be the light of this world um, to bring salvation to the world. And so that leads us to our second point, the servant's purpose. It's Christ's purpose to gather and to redeem back to God a people for God. First, he does this by being the person that Israel should have been, right? Jesus lived the life that you and I should have lived. We see this in verse 3. It's kind of hard to see, but let me explain it. And he said to me, you are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. The Lord is basically saying, you're my servant, you are my Israel. In, in you, I will be glorified. He's saying, you are going to become what Israel should have been. Israel had a calling, and, and she failed in it. You are going to substitute for Israel and be the true Israel that Israel never was. Now, remember, um, in the Bible, the Bible is, a lot of people look at the Bible as just like a bunch of disconnected, unrelated stories. But it's not. It's, it's one big story. And, it's, and it unfolds throughout the generations and throughout time. Some, some scholars say it's, it's about just a little bit of light in Genesis 3, after the fall. And, and as you go through, the light gets turned up just a little bit more a little bit more until you get to Christ and it's just like, bam, the lights are on, right? So it's one big story unfolding. At uh, the beginning, God created humanity. He said it was, it was very good. But then, but then humanity um, rejected God and fell into darkness and despair and into sin. But God didn't, didn't give up on humanity. His purpose is to restore and renew all things. And so out of all the nations and all the people, he called one person, Abraham. He said, Abraham, uh, be my special um, servant, you are going to have a mighty nation um, out of you. Your family is going to grow to be a nation, and I'm going to give you the land so you can have a special place to grow and thrive. But I'm doing this so that what all the nations of the world will be blessed. That was Israel's calling to love God, uh, to live with God, and to love its neighbors so much so that when people came through Israel they would, they would scratch their heads they say we worship all these other gods but you guys are totally different what is it about you you guys have a light about you uh, what is it tell us who your God is that was their calling but if you know scripture you know what they failed in this calling Israel was not who Israel was supposed to be but here we see the servant is now my Israel Jesus lived the life that Israel should have lived he lived the life that you and I should have lived Israel, the nation, failed, but the servant will succeed. 
Christ was faithful when Israel was not. He was obedient when Israel was not. He was a light to the nations around when Israel was not. Often when we think of Christ and and what he's done for us, we think of how he substituted himself for us, right? And often when we think of that, we think of how he substituted himself for us on the cross for our sins. He died the death that we deserve. But we need to spend a little more time thinking about is he lived the life that we should have lived, right? He substituted himself for our imperfect record. He lived a perfect record for us. That's why his work on the cross is so powerful and effective. There wasn't a sinful person hanging there. It's the Son of God, pure and free from sin. He lived the life we should have lived. He died the death that we deserve. Therefore, by faith in him, all that he has is ours. This pleases God. We hear in verse 3, You are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. This work of the servant pleases God, and it should please us too. Israel, Jesus wasn't only just Israel for Israel. He, his purpose was also to gather back Israel to God. Israel had ran from God and hid from God. The, the, the servant's task is to gather him back. We see it in verse 5. And the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered back to him. Now, Jacob and Israel, it's, it's synonymous. It's the same thing, same person. It's the nation, Jacob and Israel. This is poetic language, right? Jesus' purpose was to gather back the nation that had ran from God, to bring it back to God. Not just physically into the land, but spiritually be drawn back to God. This implies suffering on the cross. You know, the last two sermon songs, we're going to see a lot of suffering of the servant, especially in Isaiah 52 and 53. I think a number of you know that passage. But um, here his, his suffering is implied. How can a sinful people be gathered back to their God unless there be some sort of sacrifice and forgiveness, some sort of mercy, some sort of, of grace? And certainly we know in Christ that that has come to his people and to us as well. What I hope we see this morning, though, is, is God's love for his people. Even God had made a covenant with the nation to bless them no matter what. And here we see fickle, foolish people turning their backs on God, and yet God pursues them. He sends a son into the world, a servant to go and to gather back to himself a people that he can cherish and treasure. This should be great encouragement to us here, right? This is how God is. A lot of people think of the Old Testament God as a mean, angry God. No, he's full of steadfast love and faithfulness. The purpose of this Savior continues, the servant continues to this day. The light continues to shine into darkness. The proper response for us is to listen and to turn, to turn and to come to Christ, to receive his mercy. Receive his grace. I think a good question for us is, have you done that? Have you done that in your life? On paper, it seems really easy. But in the darkness of our own hearts, it's a hard thing to do. Which leads us to our next point, the servant's pathway. It's interesting. Though the servant is bringing God's love and forgiveness to this world... His pathway of doing this is full of hardship and rejection. 
Verse 4, the servant shares his discouragement. But I said, I've labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing in vanity. What we see here is some dismay. The servant knows the task is going to be hard. And yet he's not without faith. He's not doubting. He says in the second part of the verse, yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And at the end of verse 5, he says, my God has become my strength. But what we see in verse 7 is the nation, almost to a T, rejects him, abhors him. Look at what it says. We read that the servant will be deeply despised, abhorred by the nation. Have you read the Gospels? Do you know the life of Jesus? You've seen that he traveled from town to town, synagogue to synagogue, proclaiming this good news of the kingdom that God is calling out to his people who've, who've spiritually far from him and bringing them back to him. And, um, you know, it, it, things didn't go so well. If, if, if the ministry of Jesus was a Broadway play, you know, the reviews wouldn't be all that good. I know it started off well. It started off well, but then it fizzled at the end. That's what the reviews would be. And that's kind of what Jesus' life was. At first, all these crowds gathered around him. They wanted to see him and be near him. And things looked, things looked good at first. But it turns out they either wanted free food, or they wanted to see some weird sort of miracle sideshow. Give us another miracle, Jesus. But as soon as Jesus told the crowds what a commitment to following him looked like, they vanished. So too today. People, I like Jesus, he sounds great. Well, well give your life to him. Follow him. Put him uh, on the throne and not your own life. Well, well, that sounds like a little too much. I just wanted some free food, a couple healings. And then there are the religious leaders. Most of them wanted Jesus dead. And they got their wish. You know, at the beginning of John's gospel, John describes how, how God himself came to earth. And he describes it as light coming into darkness. It says, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him. All right. This is divinity of, the, of Christ. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. God's own son, the light, the, the, the Messiah that they should have been waiting for, comes to God's people and they reject him. But it goes on, though. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Towards the very end of Jesus' ministry, he's going into Jerusalem. He only has a, a few hours, uh, a few days left before he's tried and murdered. He looks over Jerusalem. He's high on a hill and he looks down. And I hope you see the great compassion that Christ has, even for people who reject him. There's a love for this land, this nation. He says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. Then listen, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not. Think about that. He knew the nature of the people in this city, in this capital. He knew what lay ahead of him. 
He knew that in a few days, he, these people who were shouting hosannas were going to shout crucify. He knew he was going to the cross for people who didn't even want him to do that. That's the steadfast love of the servant. That's the servant whose strength is, is in God Almighty. That's the servant who is so committed to bring redemption to this world that he's willing to be rejected by people and suffer shame and ridicule and be mocked on the cross so that we can hear about this light, so that we today can hear about this salvation and come into the light and embrace it. Just as Isaiah was called to preach to a people who would never listen, Jesus, the servant, was called to gather to God a people who would never be gathered. And yet he came anyway. You know, this problem isn't just a problem in Isaiah's day or Jesus' day. It's our problem, too. People refuse to come out of the darkness into the light. It's a symptom of being in, in darkness and being held captive. People like the notion of God, some sort of God, like some God up there. I'll have people, people will, will say to me, um, hey, Mark, can you throw in a little good word to the man upstairs? Can you say something to the man upstairs for me? Uh, all right. Wait, is he, is he thinking like my good uncle, my, my great uncle living in, you know, in the guest room? I mean, this is like a friend, you know, I don't know. People like a notion of a God who just makes their life better. It's a, a cherry on top kind of God, right? And Christians, you, you, perhaps you're sitting there going, yeah, that's how people can be. No, that's how we can be. We can forget um, of the mercy and the grace that we've received. We can forget that our lives have been bought by a price. We can forget that we now belong to Christ in his kingdom, And we can just ask God to put little cherries on top of our wonderful little Christian existences. So these words are a challenge to all people, I think. But for those who who view God as a cherry on top kind of God, you need to know that, that, that God is great and glorious. And to truly step into the light and to experience God... The appropriate response is a trembling of our knees. Recently, a few weeks back, Tim Keller tweeted this statement. Check this out. He says, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. Think about that. If your God never disagrees with you, your notion of who God is is, oh, yes, go get it. Go, yes, go with it. Enjoy your life. Be happy. You know, if, that's, if, if, your God never, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. Which should, here's a good question for you. Think through. When was the last time your God actually caused you to be utterly amazed at who he is? Those who stepped into the light are amazed at God. He's not just some man upstairs. When was the last time your God caused you to weep because of how you're living your life? Or challenged you to live a life for His glory, not your own? When was the last time? Have you ever experienced that? 
if you've never experienced that, I have, I have confidence in saying, you really don't know God. You really don't know Christ. Maybe today's the day when you can come to know him. Confess that you don't know him. Give your life to him. Receive Christ. Receive the light. Receive the salvation that you need. The pathway of Christ is one of hardship and rejection. He endured it knowing that there would be hardship and rejection. He endured it knowing that he would bring light to the nations and salvation to the ends of the earth. He also knew there would come prosperity. Let's look at that. We'll finish with the servant's prosperity. Though the servant's pathway will be fraught with hardship and rejection, he will prosper and so too will his people who belong to him. I'm not talking about financial prosperity, okay? The servant succeeds in delivering back to God a people for him, and he shepherds them in this dark world. And that's a good thing. In verse 7, though deeply despised by the nation, in the end, what do we see? Kings shall see and arise. Princes, and they shall prostrate themselves. The light of God's grace will have a proper effect. Those even in powerful positions will know that they are really, even the greatest kings on earth will know that there is a greater king than them. And they will bow in worship. And we know that this is not their own work of uh, taking a flashlight and going, hey, look at that. Okay, this is God's work in their life. This is uh, verse seven, uh, the last because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. My friends, know this. God is so concerned that the light of Jesus would be seen by people that he powerfully works to make sure that people see Christ and believe. He makes sure that the work of Christ prospers. If you have come to faith in Christ, it's because God has powerfully worked in your life so that you can truly come into the light and see who Christ is. Now, Remember the context. The nation is in captivity in in Babylon. Things aren't looking so good. They're in need of physical and spiritual deliverance. And then in verse 8 through 12, though, we're given this wonderful, vivid image of of this deliverance. God comes to gather his his people. Um, Jesus fulfills the covenant obligation, right? Uh, And the land is reestablished. And then there's this call goes out. Look at verse 9. The call goes out. Saying to the prisoners, come out. To the people in darkness, appear. Oh, the beautiful sound of Jesus saying, come. Come to me. Come and experience me. In John chapter 8, Jesus said these words. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Try to picture this. Picture Jesus outside Babylon. And the people are in darkness and despair and sorrow. And, and, and he says, and, and he speaks to them and he says, come out, appear. Salvation is here. Come to me. Come to the light. You know, you can do that today. Imagine Jesus outside of your life right now as, you, as you're in darkness and, 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 and hiding and, and sorrow and, and, and misery. And he calls out and he says, appear. Come, come into the light. Experience the joy of my salvation. Experience um, the light of life that I have for you. Come out and appear. I think most of us here have done that, right? We've, we've, We've heard the call of Christ. We've come into the light. We've experienced that. 
For those of you here today who haven't done that, I encourage you to do that. Come into the light. Don't want to be like people who deny that there is any sort of spiritual darkness that has any sort of effect upon them. And don't be like those who think, well, I can just work my way back to God, right? I'll find my own way in my own time. Um, Trust the darkness of your soul to the light of Christ. That would be a good application for you this morning. And then you get to experience the light of life. We see it in in verses 9 through 12. I'll go through it really quickly. What we see here is the image of a shepherd and his sheep, right? It's very vivid. Where, where the, once the ground was bare, there's now a pasture. Uh, there will no, long, no longer any spiritual hunger or thirsting. Uh, there will be no more scorching winds from the circumstances of life. The shepherd will shield his people from the hardships and difficulty of life. Not so much that they won't experience them, but they will have the shepherd in the midst of them. Why is this? Well, it says, for the shepherd has pity on the flock. He cares for the flock. He will guide them to springs of living water. He will level the pathway back to God. And he'll do this so that all the sheep throughout all generations who are scattered throughout all the world can be gathered back into Christ the Good Shepherd and to his leadership. That's God's commitment to his people. Many of you experience that daily. Christ shepherding you in your life. What's your proper response here today? If, that's, if you're a Christian in Christ, we need to be reminded of God's good work towards us. We need to remember Christ's pedigree. and We, we must listen to him. He's the son of God, the, the chosen servant. We must remember his purpose. He came to gather us back to Christ and back to God. So we must, we, we must remain with him. Uh, remember, we must remember his pathway. He was rejected and despised, which means what? As his followers, you will be rejected and, and despised. But remember also the prosperity that he brings us. All the riches of Christ are now yours by virtue of faith in him. He will shepherd you in this dark world that we live in. And he will return one day for you. That's the hope that we have. And then one last final response. How should we respond? Look at verse 13. Along with all the heavens and the earth and the mountains, we are to shout for joy. We are to rejoice. It says, let us rejoice, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on the afflicted. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've sent a servant, that you haven't left us in our darkness, that your light has shone into darkness and continues to shine. We thank you that the fullness of this light is found in your son, Jesus, who came to give light to this world and life in him. We pray, Father, that we would walk in a greater uh, love and admiration of Jesus, the light of the world. We pray that his light would shine into our hearts, even as we come to receive the Lord's Supper here, that we'd be reminded of his servant heart towards us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.